Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to our Candlelight Epiphany Service, Out of the Manger and Into the World, by Rev. Peter Yonker. Let's pray for God's blessing before we open his word together. Please pray with me. Our God, your word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Pray, Lord, that that light may shine brightly now as we gather around this bit of scripture. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our hands, so the good news of your gospel may fill us and take hold of us completely. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen. Our Bible reading this evening is from Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 6. And I'll be reading just a short little bit. It's sort of in the middle of one of those sections. Luke chapter 6, I'll read verses 6 through 11. Luke 6, 6 through 11. On another Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue, and he was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and he stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. When my parents-in-law used to live in Holland, Michigan, uh, we used to go to every, every Christmas time, we would go to Holland and we would, with my younger family, we would walk up and down 8th Avenue in Holland uh, and enjoy the Christmas festivities there. They always do a pretty good job in Holland. The Chamber of Commerce puts on a nice show. Uh, the lights are beautiful and they often have some sort of music, maybe a little band, maybe some singers. And one time I remember they even had chestnuts roasting on an open fire, which was pretty great. So we'd like to go there, and of course, we would also go into the shops. And uh, we all had our favorite shops. My children's favorite shop was the peanut store. Half of you (laughs) said that before I got it out of my mouth. The peanut store, of course, that old-time candy store. And you give them a dollar and send them in there, and they were as happy as kids in a candy store. Our favorite store, though, the one that uh, Linda and I liked, uh, was the Bridge. I really like that store. That's one of those stores where they have a variety of stuff from all over the world, from the developing countries made by artisans there, and that all comes to one place. So you have textiles, you got wall hangings, you got earrings and jewelry, and it's it's sort of really interesting stuff from all over the world. And one of the things that we really liked there were the creches. They have a beautiful collection of creches there. Creches are, of course, little manger scenes. And at the bridge, The manger scenes all came from different parts of the world, and they were sort of idiosyncratic, each of them looking like they were, that made the the Holy Family look like it came from that region. So the African creches, the the Holy Family looked African, 
in the South American crushes, they look South American, Central American, Central American, so on and so forth. And it was a lot of fun, and we didn't just look at those crushes. Of course, sometimes we bought them. And I think at our home, if you go today, we probably have three or four crushes that we bought at the bridge. So I love crushes. I have an affinity for them. I have a dream, along with Larry Visser, that someday we'll have a show where we'll have all crushes from various people, and it'll be sort of a thing we do at Christmas. But I also have a sense that crushes can represent a limitation to the way we celebrate Christmas. That there is potentially, not inherently, but potentially something dangerous in what a crush represents. At their best, they can be a reminder of Christmas time. They can point us towards Jesus, who is the reason for the season. But at their worst, they can be overly sentimental. They can cutesify our faith. Anytime you turn Jesus into a decorative object, you're dealing with difficult grounds. Here's another way to say it. At their worst, crushes can start messing with the second commandment. They can start straying into the area of the second commandment. The second commandment is, you shall not make for yourself any graven images. Now, a crush is not a graven image. That is not what I'm saying. Remember, I own them. But it starts, or can start, to stray into the area that the second commandment is concerned with. What is the second commandment about? The second commandment is about representing God. And the issue at stake in that commandment is God is so holy and so majestic and so beyond our imagining that we ought not to represent God the Father. How can a piece of paper with some paint strokes on it, how can a piece of wood, how can a piece of pottery possibly represent the glory of our Heavenly Father? In the same way, when we make Jesus' birth into a decorative object, we run the risk, the risk, of turning the glorious mystery of the Incarnation into a piece of home decor. We run the risk of turning the wonder of Christ coming to be one of us into something you can put on your mantle for the neighbors to admire. Of course, this is not just about crushes. I point out crushes because what they represent is a danger that's endemic to all our Christmas celebrations. The great mystery of the Incarnation in the way we celebrate Christmas very quickly can turn into a celebration of family and hearth and home. And again, I love hearth and home. I spent time with my family around my hearth at home this Christmas time, and I loved it. But the center of Christmas is not coziness. It's not family. It's not hearth and home. It is the great mystery of the incarnation. It is the wonder of Christ coming to this earth and overturning everything by becoming flesh and blood. It's world-shaking power. There's a reason that the secular world finds it easiest to join in our Christmas celebrations. The secular world has trouble with Easter, right? I mean, they do the Easter bunny, but that's not really Easter. They, they, they made up something beside us. 
But Christmas, they, 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 they find it easier to join in because Jesus in the manger is safe. He's just a baby, and babies are cute, right? Red-cheeked, you can pinch his little red cheeks. He's not going to come out of the manger, and he's not going to point his finger at you, and he's not going to say something awkward, and he's not going to tell you one of his confrontational parables. And so the world loves to celebrate Christmas with us because Jesus is still safe and cuddly at Christmas time. But he doesn't stay that way. He comes out of the manger, and he goes into the world. By the time we get to our passage in Luke 6, Jesus' public ministry in Luke has been going for about two chapters and 11 verses, okay? So not very long yet. At every stage of the way, virtually everything Jesus has done along the way, he said things or done things that have upset people. Almost everything he's done so far, if you read through those two and a half chapters of Luke, and I invite you to do that, almost everything he does upsets somebody. In that short time... Jesus managed to start a minor riot in his hometown with his hometown first sermon, so bad that they wanted to throw him off a cliff. He's upset the comfortable lives of some fishermen by calling them to leave their nets and follow him, and that so upset Peter that he fell on his knees at Jesus' feet and said, please leave me alone. He scandalized the establishment by eating with tax collectors and sinners, and not only eating with them, but inviting one of them to be his disciple. He got the Pharisees up in arms when he claimed to have the authority to forgive sins of a paralytic who was lowered down through the roof. That made them mad. And he further upsets them in the passage right before ours by not observing the Sabbath in the way that they wanted. Every step of the way, he gets people upset. And that continues in our passage. Jesus sees a man with a withered hand, sees a man who's suffering on the Sabbath, and he doesn't just observe from a distance this man's pain, he moves towards it. That's what Jesus does. He comes towards the man to heal him, and he does it even though he knows everyone is watching, and if he heals that man, he will be breaking a taboo because this is the Sabbath day. But that doesn't stop Jesus. He heals a man with a withered hand, and that makes the Pharisees so mad that they are furious, it says, and they're looking to see what they can do to him. Already, the whiff of his crucifixion is in the Pharisees' gaze. Jesus comes out of the manger and into the world, and he causes so much trouble. Why does he cause so much trouble? Why does he do that? Is he just one of these contrary people? Does he just have a revolutionary spirit? Does he like overturning apple carts? I don't think so. There are people like that, right? There are people who are just contrarian. You say X to them and they say Y back to you and they just look to get a rise out of you. That's not Jesus. Jesus is not contrarian. Jesus is not trying to be revolutionary for revolution's sake. What motivates Jesus is love. It's his deep, passionate, incarnational love that gets him into such trouble and causes such a stir. Jesus doesn't heal the man with the wizard hand because he's trying to aggravate the Pharisees. He heals the man because he loves him and wants to help him. Jesus doesn't eat with tax collectors and sinners to aggravate 
the teachers of the law. He eats with the tax collectors and sinners because he wants to save them. He wants to heal them. Jesus didn't forgive the sins of the paralytic lowered through his roof to prove a point to the people gathered around to make them angry. He did it because he could see that the man needed his sins forgiven and he wanted to help him. It is Jesus' incarnational love that pushes him out of the manger and into the world and gets him into so much trouble. To use the imagery of this service, Christmas time, we light that nice, safe candle to represent the coming of Christ into this world. But very soon, that nice little flame becomes a raging, purifying fire that starts to turn everything upside down. It's just like what John the Baptist said. One is coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Anyone who has tried to love like Jesus, who's tried to practice incarnational love, knows how upsetting that love can be for both you and the person you're trying to love. Years ago, my mother got involved with her neighbor, a Mrs. Smith. Mrs. Smith was a widow lady, and uh, she was one of these widow ladies who was absolutely alone in the world. Her husband died. They had no children. She had no siblings. I think her closest relative was maybe a cousin who lived halfway across Canada. So she was utterly alone, and so my mother decided that she would try to keep Mrs. Smith company after her husband died. And that was not so easy. Mrs. Smith was occasionally thankful. Um, often she was just grouchy. She was, she was a bit of a difficult woman. And at the beginning, it was okay. Uh, she would, my mom would go over there and just have coffee with her and bring her cookies once in a while, so it was no big deal. But as Mrs. Smith aged, it got more difficult. Her needs became more substantial. Her demands became more regular. And soon it got to the point where my mother would be lying in bed in the middle of the night and her phone would ring and Mrs. Smith had fallen in the bathroom and she had to go over next door and help Mrs. Smith get up. And this happened for month after month after month. Finally, Mrs. Smith ended up in an assisted care facility and even then my mother's care was drawn in. She had to help her get there. She had to make sure her care was right. She had to take care of all the paperwork. She had to run errands for her while she was at that place. I don't mean to make my mother into some kind of saint. I have countervailing stories, if you'd like to hear them, to prove that she's not. <laughs> I love you, Mom, if you're watching. <laughs> my mother is just an ordinary Christian woman. I only tell this story as an indication of, of what happens when the fire of Jesus' love the fire that came, the light that came to us at Bethlehem gets out of the manger and into us and into the world. It is complicated. Bring a casserole to a person, go for a visit to a person, and really start digging into your need, and you'll never know what sort of trouble his love will get you into. I began this sermon talking about how crushes, if they're not handled right, can make Jesus seem cute and safe. Let me tell you a different kind of a crash story, a better one. Years ago, the Toronto Globe and Mail, a big secular Canadian paper, 
actually published a little piece written by a man from Calgary. This man from Calgary had, had bought a crash for his house, and he put it on the mantle. And uh, the only problem was he had two young daughters, and these daughters were both big doll players. And so sure enough, they took hold of the elements of the crash and started working them into all their doll universe, including the baby Jesus. And, and now I'm going to quote, and this is what he wrote. The baby Jesus ended up visiting with our Lego populace. He frequented the company of the stuffed animals, despite the immense difference in scale. Another time, I found Jesus stuffed into the chimney of a dollhouse. He was helping Santa, the kids explained. I found him driving the Barbie Corvette with Barbie down at the end of the hall. So it was out of the manger and into the streets for the baby Jesus in this house. And uh, the girls played with him, and sure enough, the inevitable happened. Baby Jesus broke. He got cracked in two. And at first, Dad was furious. I told you girls not to play with Jesus. Now look what you've done. This is so inappropriate. But then the dad realized, no, this is exactly how it goes. This is exactly what Jesus does. He goes out of the stable, out of the manger, and into the world, into every corner of our lives, and he loves so fiercely that we break him in half. He's no longer the cute little baby in the manger whose cheeks we'd like to pinch. He's now a full-grown man whose cheeks get slapped and who gets nailed to a cross for us. His love will not be cute or safe, but it will be glorious and it will be our salvation. I hope you all had a lot of warm, fuzzy times this Christmas great times with family at hearth and home. I hope there were lots of Christmas presents and Christmas lights. But Christmas is pretty much over and it's almost time to put the decorations away and to let the love that we found at Christmas take hold of us and move us out into the world filled with his fire. On Christmas Eve, we lit that little candle to symbolize his coming Tonight, to show that his light can't possibly be contained to that little flame, we will let that light spread out here. And it won't quite be a raging fire. We don't want a raging fire here tonight. But it will be something much more than this light. And as we see this place fill with the light of this candle, it will remind us that the light of God's love can't possibly be contained here or here. It must go through us out there into the world and change everything. Praise God for his love's wild and unquenchable light. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are still trying to plumb the depths of your love for us. We are still coming to grips of what you gave up for us when you came to this earth and then when you laid down your life for us. We pray that this Christmas the light of your love will burn a little brighter in us and we know, Lord, that that won't be easy for us when we love people out there in the world, but we know, Lord, because we see it in you that it will be glorious. 
Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.